Here's another inspiring speech recorded at Communities in Control, Australia's biggest and best annual community sector gathering. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dennis, for the wonderful introduction. And thank you to Cathy and Dennis and Maureen and everybody at Communities in Control for having me uh, on the lineup. It's an absolute honour and it's been a real privilege to listen to all of the speakers who have been on this stage up until today. And now it's my turn. So I'm honoured to be up here. Thank you for having me. And thank you to you for being a part of this session. Uh, and taking the leap of faith that I might be able to offer you something over the next 45 minutes uh, about uh, that might be of value to you. Can we get the slides up? Wonderful. Yeah, and, and you've taken the leap of faith, and that's because I'm talking about play. Uh, and it's something that not a lot of people take very seriously. Uh, and the reason I'm talking about play is because you're not talking about it enough. That's the first reason. And the second reason is that in the last few years, as I've looked more deeply into this thing called play uh, that's hard and strange to define and probably not needed to be defined, um, but as I've looked into it, I've found really powerful tools and ideas and practices that can help us throughout all of our everyday life, in our work and in our homes and in our relationships. Uh, and so hopefully today I can convince you of some of the value of play and how you might be able to use it in your everyday life. So a few things I hope to convince you of, and that is, one, play is deeply intertwined with human life. It is whether you like it or not, and whether you want to acknowledge it or not uh, is up to you, but the more we look into how play is a part of our lives, the more we can gain from, from that insight. The second thing is that play helps us to find meaning and opens us up to self-expression. The third is that play helps us to create connected communities. And the fourth is that play helps us to think critically and to challenge authority. And we're not going to be able to do that one, actually, because we won't have enough time. Um, but I wanted to include it because I don't feel like this list is complete without that fourth point there. Uh, and it's also a well-known game mechanic that if I create a sense of scarcity uh, or denial for you guys, you will feel a greater sense of curiosity and desire about it. So I'm using that game mechanic freely. Uh, when I talk about play, I used to use this image, which is the playful universe. And uh, I was going to include it today because we have the uh, universe theme here as part of Communities in Control, the kind of space theme. Uh, but I've moved away from it because, unfortunately, space is being colonised by the egos of billionaires. And so there's no more room for us in space, <clears throat> which is a shame. So instead I use this image, which is a 16th century Flemish painting by the artist Peter Brugel, and it's called Children's Games. And somebody analysed it and thought they could find 124 different types of play in, uh, in this one image. And I use it now as my way into talking about how play is intertwined with every part of human life. And I'm going to go through a kind of where's Wally finding all of the little parts of how play interacts with life uh, and go through kind of, I guess, the major intersections of play and other key disciplines or ways of thinking. And so the first is philosophy. And uh, philosophers have talked very little about play. In fact, most of what early philosophers have said, Plato being a good example, is that play is not a good thing. It's dangerous. And it's dangerous because it gives children too many ideas. Uh, and if they have too many ideas, then we can't control them in our very controlling state. Uh, and so Plato doesn't like play because of how powerful and dangerous it is. Other philosophers suggest that all of human creation outside of the necessary 
everything we do that we don't need to do, for example, enjoying a lavish meal rather than a protein shake that gives us all our nutrients, building a nice house rather than a simple shelter that we require. Everything that we do over and above the necessary, even sex not for procreation, um, you can thank play for, <laughs> for that. Uh, and so play helps us to create all of the things that we don't need. Uh, and that is the rest of, that is all of human civilization, all of the things that we've created. That's what some philosophers suggest. I'm not trying to convince you of that right now. Uh, next, we look at science. And science looks into how play has helped animals to grow and develop. Uh, there are studies that show animals with play, extreme play deprivation don't survive. They don't survive in the wild because they don't take the risks that are necessary for finding the things they need to find, whether it's food or shelter or other people or uh, animals. Uh, and so science, zoology, neuroscience, science looks very deeply at how play is intimately a part of our growth and development and even our evolutionary biology. Education is rich with ideas in play. And uh, I like to steal from the world of education. Uh, it's all for children, but I like to take play from children and give it to adults is kind of the method. And education gives us a really great insight into how play helps us to learn, uh, how play helps us to synthesize information. So unfortunately, the state of education is not great, in my opinion, in, in the world and in Australia. And uh, we don't include enough game time in, uh, in our education. In fact, the military use games effectively in order to educate and train their soldiers, much more so than we use it to educate and uh, grow our children. And so games, uh, serious games is the kind of term for educational games, are really important and things we don't use often enough. Simulations, simulations help us synthesise information in real time. That's how we learn, uh, not by long lists and dates and things like that. And so education can be benefited from play and so can we. Art and design is filled with how do we create ideas? How do we come up with ideas collaboratively? It's a treasure trove of uh, tools and practices and resources that you can take and use whenever you need to come up with new ideas in your work, in your communities, wherever you are. Uh, and so we can steal from art and design and use their practices, their playful practices in our everyday life. Therapy is using more play. Therapy uh, now includes things like sand play or doll play, uh, not just for children but for adults and well, as well. And that's because the kind of conditions we need for play is safety, trust, uh, a sense of our boundaries and what we're willing and not willing to do, and so does therapy. It requires a safe environment where you trust the person you're with. Uh, and the other thing that therapy uh, is, allows through play uh, is to talk about things metaphorically, not directly, um, and to express them in non-linguistic terms, which helps in a therapeutic context. So therapy is using play more and more, in, and for adults, uh, than it ever has before. The performing arts is also a training ground for resilience, for confidence, for the ability to present, uh, for navigating emotionally challenging situations, for stepping into the role or mindset of another person, for cultivating empathy. Uh, engaging in the performing arts, you don't have to go and be a, a performer. Uh, just to engage in some level of performing arts is going, to train, is going to train you in all those skills, in resilience, in all of the things I've just mentioned. So engaging with the performing arts can help us to be fuller people. Toys and tools is another area that I, I look into, and that's about our very special connection between the hand and the brain. Uh, and if we spend more time cultivating that connection, it can actually help us think. We see improved thinking, improved ideas when we use our hands as opposed to when we don't use our hands. A couple of examples is uh, Lego Serious Play, which is used in boardrooms and uh, executive boardrooms all over the world to come up with ideas 
to talk about ideas in a business context using storytelling and metaphor rather than buzzwords and KPIs. Uh, and as a result, new ideas start to come up in that context. Another really beautiful example of how toys and tools can help us, uh, there was a beautiful toy called the Empathy Toy that was created initially to help students in school empathise with blind children. It's a, spe a special game that has a number of particular blocks and you wear a blindfold and one person has to explain, one person builds with their blocks without a blindfold and they have to explain to a blindfolded person how to recreate the building that they made themselves. And as a result, we see what is really challenging about communication, how we misunderstand each other, what it might be like to hear instructions as a blind person and not be able to follow them because the instructions are terrible. And so the empathy toy allows us to understand what happens in communication and what happens when we miscommunicate. Uh, and it's a really wonderful toy that we can use to yeah, engage. Playgrounds, I've only got two more. Um, playgrounds uh, is also a really important place to think about play. Uh, and it's not so much playgrounds as much as think about the built environment and whether our built environments uh, off allow us to engage with other people in the way we want to. Is the built environment inviting us into playful interaction or is it allowing us to avoid everybody as we move through the space? So if we think about playgrounds, we start to think about how the built environment encourages different kinds of interaction. Another good example is also Child in the City, which is a not-for-profit not organisation that looks at how our built environment is completely unaccommodating to children. Uh, it is built for adults and children, it's actually quite dangerous for children who want to be out in the street. As a result, we have uh, children play, moving out into the world less. The radius of space that they might move into, and we've got a number of generations in the room, you can probably testify to this, uh, older generations would probably have been allowed to walk a number of kilometres by themselves away from the home, to travel on a tram, uh, to do a whole lot of things that kids today are absolutely would be mad to allow a child to do. Uh, and that's because, uh, first of all, parenting has probably changed a little bit, but so has uh, the amount, the, the urban environment not allowing anywhere near as much play, especially for young people, as it could. And finally, if we look to the world of games, uh, they can teach us about ourselves. They can teach us about choice and meaning, uh, and every game designer has to think deeply about choices and the meaning in our choices in order for them to create a meaningful game. But we're going to get into that in just a moment. Uh, so I hope that at least to some extent I might have convinced you of this very first point, which is that think bigger and fix everything by thinking more about play. I'm not asking you to do anything yet, just think more about play. Is there any nods that agree that we want to do that? Okay, good, all right, excellent. Just checking if I'm anywhere near on the right track. Enough talking about play, uh, now to do some play. So we're going to play a game. Uh, and the game we're going to play is this or that. Am I on? Yes, great. All right. Look, you can hear me. Uh, we're going to play this or that. And the way that this game works is fairly simple. There are two words that I'm going to put up on the screen. And all you have to do is think about which one you are more like. It's not hard. Which one you are more like. I'll give you 10 seconds to do that. And once you've done that, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and to guess which one they picked. And once you've done that, you can share as to which one you picked and why. So ready? I'll give you 10 seconds just to think and to choose which one you're more like. Oh, that's how you play. Select a word, guess your partner's choice of word, and then explain. First set of words. Are you a tree or a river? Go. Think, think, think. And uh, th sorry, those of you playing online, same thing. Have a think. Which one you're more like? 
Okay, that's, that's enough of that one. That's enough of that one. If I can bring you back. Um, because we're going to play one more time. We're going to play another one. Yes. Uh, are you more like a submarine or a helicopter? A submarine or a helicopter? You've got 10 seconds to think, and then when you're ready, you have to guess the person next to you and explain why you chose yours. Submarine or helicopter? How was that? Was that fun? Is that interesting? Okay, good. Uh, and throughout the, and sorry, for those of you playing online, you can also just chuck into the chat what you are and why, or guess other people that you know on the chat and just play along in your way. Uh, and also, uh, throughout the conference, see if you can find your twins, people who are both a helicopter tree, um, or uh, your cousins who are one of each, maybe, and uh, your opponents who, are, who have nothing in common with you. <laughs> And so I use this game as a, uh, as a way to tell you that play helps us to create meaning. Uh, I don't know how your conversations went. I saw a lot of hand gestures. Uh, <laughs> but I assume that it might have been, for some of you, a way into understanding somebody else in a deeper way, probably a catalyst for a different kind of conversation you might have. And we can use that game in all kinds of contexts in order to set the tone for what we're talking about and to make it easy and fun and playful and comfortable to talk about all kinds of things using a very, very simple game structure. Uh, this game, I should say, was created by an organisation called Play Reactive. Uh, and the director of that organisation, uh, when he created the game, told me that his design brief for himself was to create something that offered as much opportunity for meaning in as simple a structure as possible. And I think he achieved that. It's a very simple choice. It's a choice between two words, and through it, we can understand more about ourselves and each other. Uh, another example of things... Whoa. Oh, no, what just happened? There we go. Um, another thing that Play... Another thing that Play Reactive have created, uh, and what they do is they create immersive theatre and gaming experiences in order to create meaning, in order to help us think about things. Uh, this was a project they did with um, City of Melbourne, which was called You Care, and it was to explore what happens, what might it be like in the future when our hospitals and doctor uh, surgeries are so technologically advanced, we don't need doctors and all technology, will we feel a lack of care? A lack of that care connection that we have. And so you could theorise about that all you like, or you can create an experience in which people go through it and tell you what it was like to be in that state. And so we can explore new environments, new ideas, new things using uh, play, play Reactive's kind of style, using games and performance. And the other way play creates meaning, sorry, games create meaning and play creates meaning, think about a game designer, when they think about choices, they have to ask, about the player making the choice, what is their experience? Why would they make this choice? What about their identity might cause them to make one choice over another? What about what they know or they assume or their influences or their fears or their desires or which of their relationships are going to influence cho the choice they make at every stage in a game? So using game design, we can more deeply understand human beings by looking at their choices. Uh, another quick example. Uh, is Nikki Case, and they are a game designer who created two really interesting, well, a whole lot of really interesting games. I'm going to tell you about two of them. One is their coming out simulator, which is a simulator for people to go through the process of what it might be like uh, to come out uh, about a different sexual or gender identity, uh, and how to go through that with the kinds of conversations you're going to have. Who are you going to tell first? What are you going to say? What if they say this back to you? And through the simulator, it's helped a lot of people to do the preparatory steps that they might need to come out in real life. And so it's a really powerful tool for people to simulate or step into what might be a challenging scenario, but safely, because it's a game. 
Another one is a parable of polygons, and this looks at segregation. And it's very simple. Um, all it says is that each polygon wants to be with a polygon that, uh, with, with around polygons that at least a third of them are the same as them. So not everybody, I don't need to be around all my kinds of people, just a couple of people that are similar to me. And that seems like a reasonable uh, non-xenophobic uh, position to hold. But we find in his game that it's actually almost impossible with even such a low bar to create non-segregated societies by dragging and dropping the polygons. Simple maths of wanting to be with a third of the people being similar to you is enough to make it impossible to avoid segregation. So the second thing I want to convince you of is that think bigger and fix everything by allowing play to open us up to more meaningful interactions. Do we agree? You just uh, convince some people? A few nods? Okay, a couple. Less so than before. That's right. Uh, new game. New game. There we go. Uh, this is a forte. This is a forte. No. Yeah. Uh, no. This is a print of Louis the Sixteenth. That's right. Uh, a print of Louis XVI who was known for uh, lavish meals, as large as they could be. And it's uh, what we're going to use to play What's for Dinner? Okay, so this is a little bit more of a challenging game. Those of you uh, playing online, uh, there might be some of it not accessible to you, but we'll see how we go and I trust you to try and uh, make it work for yourself. Uh, what's for Dinner? Here's how it goes. All right, first thing, everybody hold your left hand up like this. Left hand up like that. And I want you to imagine that on your hand is a dinner plate. So you can feel the weight of it. It's a nice big white dinner plate. And uh, I want you now to imagine your favorite meal sitting on that plate. So if closing your eyes helps, please do it. Um, even get the smell of it. What is your favorite meal? What does it smell like? If your mouth is watering, you're imagining well enough. Uh, if it's not, you can dial it up a little bit. And now I want you to hold your right hand up like this. And ideally, you're about within arm's reach of somebody. Yep, right hand up like this. And when I say go on the count of three, I want you to put your finger into the dinner of the person next to you. One, two, three. Here we go. And now that you've done that, I want you in your little groups and tables, just turn to the whoever's next to you, look them in the eye, and tell them what your favorite meal is so they know what their finger is, what dinner their finger's in. All right? Go. Uh, if you're online, you can just type your favourite meal into the chat. Uh, for those of us here in person, uh, I'll tell you why I do that. And I do that at the start of every single workshop I ever run. Uh, and I, the reason I do it at the start, uh, and it was actually taught, I should credit it, it was taught to me by a man named Marcus Veerman, who runs an organisation called Playground Ideas, uh, which is a beautiful organisation that builds playgrounds in the developing world um, where the default playgrounds are usually rubbish piles and dangerous spaces. So Playground Ideas is a beautiful organisation. And Marcus Veerman gave me this uh, activity. And the reason I do it is food makes us feel safe. So at the start of a workshop, I want people to start to feel safe and, and like they trust me. Uh, it creates a physical connection, very minimal, but enough. Uh, enough to kind of break that isolating bubble that is around us and um, allows us to be more physical and uh, also you know, affectionate with other people. Uh, we use our voice, which is also really important uh, in order to, well, humor case, I'd just say, to be listened and to be heard. Uh, and so I like to say uh, at the start of a workshop, have people use their voice immediately. Uh, we make eye contact, which is very special, gives us a sense of the human moment that we are around other people. And uh, we laugh together, and that's a, a, a great thing to do. Uh, it's a great way to make us feel comfortable doing things together. So that's why I do it. Um, 
And this was a little bit of a taste into uh, my next point, which is that play opens us up to self-expression. And self-expression is when we imagine it, we might imagine something like running around naked painting. I don't know. <laughs> um, but we often imagine very creative uh, and, and wild things. Um, but I'm going to talk about self-expression through the ideas of uh, Augusto Boal, who was uh, we're now going back to Rio de Janeiro in the 1970s, you know, just so you know where we are. Um, and Augusto Boal is the Brazilian theatre director who brought us a range of really, really important ideas that I think still haven't had their time uh, and are going to cause future revolutions. Uh, and the work of Augusto Boal begins by telling us that over time we reduce our expressive capacity. Over time, we stop moving in new ways, we stop thinking in new ways, uh, and in order to continue to be expressive, we need to continue uh, to, to move in different ways and branch out. So there's a whole range of activities um, for how we can do that. Uh, here are his three books, and so in Games for Actors and Non-Actors, he talks about that, the importance of movement and new ways of movement to break us out of our stagnant way of being and thinking. And then he writes in Theatre of the Oppressed a very, very beautiful uh, idea that first he says that the history of theatre has made us passive. It's made us, we get a sense of catharsis when we go into a theatre context, but we come away without any uh, shift in our moral sensibilities. We are no more inclined to act in the real world to make a moral difference. And he thought this should be the purpose of theatre, that the performing arts should allow us an opportunity to test what we believe morally, to break down and analyse and to work with other people to understand what we think should happen in the world. And so he created a very special form of theatre called Forum Theatre. And Forum Theatre works like this. If there was a uh, play happening up here on stage, you as the audience would not be spectators. You would be invited to be spect actors. And a spect actor is an awkward word to say, but it is also a beautiful concept. And the idea is that you can, at any point, get up onto the stage and take control of the scene. You can demand that actors replay parts of the scene with different dialogue or different actions. You can, if frustrated by their inability to meet uh, what you believe should be in the play, kick them out and be an actor in the play and to change the course of the direction of the play and the way it's going. And he thought that by doing this, we become more ethical people. We uh, get to, if you go through the world today, we can see that people are more inclined to take out their phone and film something happening in the street than to actually step up and do anything. To step in and to say, do you need a hand? Or, you know, can I help in any way? Or what's going on here? Instead, we film it. Uh, and that's okay, it's actually very useful in certain cases. Um, but in other cases, what we'd like to do is see spect actors, people willing to step into the world, into the real world that they're in, to make a difference, to change the uh, plot, to change the direction of the play. And so Forum Theatre uh, can help us not to just express our... Augusto Ball tells us not just to find self-expression for the joy of it, but to find self-expression so we can be ethically more expressive, so we can have more great, greater integrity in our ethics and how we step into situations. So, number three, think bigger and fix everything by being a spectator and by cultivating an opportunity for uh, involvement and engagement wherever you can. I've got time, good. Uh, play helps us to create community. The last point I want to make. And, sorry, and I'm going to talk about the New Games Foundation. 
So now we're actually we're still in the 1970s, but we're traveling to California, and we are meeting a series of peace activists who, uh, in response to the Vietnam War, thought, well, actually, society is really competitive. In fact, it's combative. And we need to give people an example of collaborative and cooperative ways of being. And so they asked uh, this man, Stuart Brand, to create a game that would allow people to uh, navigate conflict safely. So he created a really large-scale rough-and-tumble game with uh, heaps of people pushing the ball from one side of a field to the other. And it was you know, rough and people could run around. And uh, the result was that conflict was mediated safely through play. After that initial event, uh, the New Games Foundation was born. And they were born in order to teach people all the different ways we can uh, play. And in doing so, all the different ways we can engage in society at large. I'm just going to have a drink of water. <coughs> Apologies. So the New Games Foundation ran New Games tournaments. And at their peak, there were 10,000 people over a four-day period on a massive field under the Golden Gate Bridge playing and teaching each other games. And it kind of, this is what it might have looked like. <clears throat> this is what a new games tournament looks like. All kinds of fun and crazy games. The point was you'd make them up. You'd make them up as you were there and you'd share them with other people. And all the games that you came up with would evolve and change and they would change based on the need of the players. What the players wanted is the direction it would go in. Uh, it wasn't about playing defined games. It was about playing the games they made up on the spot in free-flowing fun. This is called This Is My Nose, but you'll notice he's pointing to his chin. Uh, this is another one, Earthball. Uh, and the kind of key idea here, and uh, one of the movement's founders, a man named Bernie de Coven, wrote a book called The Well Play Game. And in it, he gives us the idea of the play community. Play community, very simple idea. In the idea of the play community, uh, the game changes to suit the players, as opposed to in a game community where the players change, but the game stays the same. So I'll give you an example. AFL, every week it's AFL, even though they change the rules occasionally, much to everybody's disappointment. Uh, it's still AFL. It's going to be a footy game every week, and the players might change, and people benched, people injured, people move on. Uh, if we were to turn the AFL into a play community, you'd have the same players every week, you'd have the same teams, but the game would change every single week. Uh, and they could play a, a range of games that they invent on the spot. They could play soccer and then cricket. The community stays the same and is central to the play experience. And the game changes so that the, the people in the community can find different ways of playing. They can follow their curiosity, enjoyment, their connection, uh, because the game changes. And I think, as an analogy, a lot of our community game communities, uh, where the rules won't change uh, and people have to fit within them, and in a play community, we allow the rules to change to allow people more access to play, to allow people to feel safe in the play. And so, I guess, broadly speaking, I want to encourage us towards play communities instead of game communities. And that's a metaphor, but also within, your game, within your, the ways you play, if you have a games night, change the game uh, rather than the players, which I'm sure you do, and that's probably what you experience anyway. So the play community, how do we cultivate it? Uh, first of all, we need everybody to come with a willingness to be a part of a play community. They're not there to be a part of a game community, they're there to play. And they're there to play well, to play in the way that the play community asks of them, to be open to change and to be open to creating an environment that everybody can feel equal access to play. You need to cultivate trust, you need to cultivate safety, you need to be aware of your boundaries and everybody's boundaries within uh, the play. 
Uh, and familiarity, which is also really important. You need to play over time. Uh, and the more we play with the same group of people, the more comfortable we are to express ourselves and follow our curiosity and uh, really extend and push out the ways we play and find more of ourselves in that. And we need to uh, find the well-played game. So number four, <clears throat> think bigger and fix everything by cultivating play communities. Uh, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a sense of what the new games movement might have played in one of their tournaments. We're going to play one final game now. Uh, it's called Convergence or Twins. Um, and I'm going to explain how it goes. Yeah, I used these twins. I didn't use these twins because I thought that'd be a little bit too much. Uh, if you don't know who these are, this could be an adorable picture. If you do, it is terrifying. It's from The Shining. Anyway, these guys are better. <laughs> and so, uh, how do you play? I want you, you're going to turn, you're going to do it with the person next to you. And online you can put this into the chat uh, as a group. But do it with the person next to you. Uh, you're going to say a word each simultaneously. I'm going to count you down. I'm going to go three, two, one, go. And I'm going to go three, two, one, go. You're going to say another word simultaneously. And you're going to keep saying words as I say three, two, one, go. Uh, until you reach the same word or we've had enough of the game, we stopped the game and you didn't reach convergence. Okay, so anyone unsure of how this works? No, you're just going to turn to the person next to you. You're going to, I'm going to say three, two, one. You're going to keep saying words until you converge. All right, ready, set, go. Three, two, one, 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 go. Oh, that's, that's probably enough of that. Did, did anyone reach convergence? Hands up if you... Yes, we have one, two, three. You get a car. You get a car. Oh, we did. Great. Fantastic. So, that, that's a, an adaptation. That's an adaptation from the kinds of games you would play in a new games uh, tournament. And there's no winner or loser. It's a collaborative game. It's a fun game. It can go on endlessly. It can change. You could bring five people into it and try to reach it all together the same word, which might be really challenging but really interesting. And so this is what it was like, an evolving, changing way of playing so that we can explore new ideas, new things, and feel greater connection. So I guess uh, we're, we're reaching the end, and I guess I just wanted to really leave you with this one sentence as the thing that I hope to prove today. And that is that play is deeply intertwined with human life. It helps us find and create meaning. It opens us up to ethical self-expression. And it can guide us to create compassionate and connected communities. And I guess that's my offering for how we can think bigger and fix everything. So uh, thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed this highlight from the Communities in Control Library. If you did, We'd love you to rate or review this podcast in the iTunes store and for you to share it with your friends. For further information about Communities in Control, visit ourcommunity.com.au forward slash CIC.